Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now, your host, Bela Sebraff on The Definitive Rap. Hello, and welcome to The Definitive Rap. I am Bela Sebrow. Thank you to Five Towns Central for sponsoring this show. Throughout history, the Jewish nation and Israel never falters, regardless of what happens, always celebrating and standing tall. And we are seeing that now amidst ongoing protests, threats of war, terrorism, a problematic government, Israelis are standing resilient and strong, honoring and memorializing Yom HaShoah and partying on Yom HaTzma'ot, Israel Independence Day. With us to talk about this and more, all the way from Israel, is Mark Shulman, publisher and editor, History Central, editor of HistoryCentral.com, and he's a Newsweek columnist, pursuing his three main interests, love of history, technology, and concern for the Jewish people, for the past 20 years, Mark has managed to successfully combine starting a growing company, and he grew that company really, really, really high, um, that, and it develops multimedia history products and developing the world's largest history website. Mark, welcome to The Definitive Wrap. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Israel recently had several tragic terrorist attacks. Um, and Iranian drone that was downed over the Golan Heights, missiles fired. Throughout this period of turmoil, demonstrations continue against the government's planned judicial reforms. Most other countries would just let their independence day come and go, but not the Israelis. Please explain to our audience what was going on in Israel on this festive day. So it was an interesting independence day. Going up to it, there was a great deal of concern that some of the ceremonies would be disturbed by by demonstrators. I should keep in mind, it's very important to understand that Israel Independence Day is preceded by Memorial Day, which is a Memorial Day for the soldiers that have fallen in Israel's wars. So Israel has this unique situation where it goes from absolutely somber to absolute celebration. Right. It's like sundown and the whole world has changed. Yeah, the whole world changes. That's, what, that's so, what's so amazing. You don't see this anywhere else. No other nation can seem to do that. I don't know whether we really successfully do that either sometimes. You sometimes wonder about that. But yes, it goes from, you know, the, the songs on the televisions are all sad songs of, of wars and people lost. And all day long, there are stories of all the soldiers that have fallen over all of the years. And you sort of reach out and touch and feel a part of it, obviously. It's also, it relates to people who've been killed in terrorist attacks as well. So everybody knows somebody who was either you know, in who either died in a war or died in a terror attack. There's practically nobody, certainly my generation, the younger generation, a little less so, obviously, because uh, my generation is a generation that fought the Yom Kippur War and the First Lebanon War and some of you a little bit older, the Six-Day War. Uh, thankfully, the last uh, 30 years have been relatively quiet when it comes to actual wars, not so much so when it comes to terrorism. Mm-hmm. So um, there's this transition. And this year, there was a lot of questions around the ceremonies. Um, Those people who oppose the judicial reform don't only oppose the judicial reform, oppose many of the people in the current government. 
And so there was a question whether anyone would disturb those, you know, the ceremonies. That did not happen. But instead, there was this wonderful alternative uh, Yom Atzimut celebration on Kaplan Street, which is a main thoroughfare here in Tel Aviv. And it's been the location for 15 of the last 16 weeks, the first week it started somewhere else, of the demonstrations against the government. So instead of a demonstration, um, I would say 50 to 60,000 people at least came out on the streets and um, listened to bands play and music and celebrated Yom Atzimut amongst all of the other people who had been demonstrating for the last uh, last two or three months at this point. So it was a unique experience in that in that sense. And yeah. uh, so that that was the night. During the day, everybody in Israel just makes a barbecue. It's the most, uh-huh. you know, Oh, really? Just like, everybody uh, just like in the everybody U.S., July 4th. Right. Exactly like July 4th, whether it's in a park or whether it's on their uh, porches, wherever it is, everybody does, uh, you know, make, makes a barbecue uh, in honor of Yom Atzimut during the day. Right. Um, so are schools closed? Schools and, are closed. And... It's a complete holiday. You know, it's a schools, holiday. Are, right. schools are open on Memorial Day. Right. On Memorial Day, right. soldiers go back to the schools they went to. In other words, soldiers, most, not all soldiers are off. Obviously, some soldiers have to be guarding the border or in other places. But those, a lot of soldiers are given off for the two days of Memorial Day and, uh, and, and Independence Day. Mm-hmm. And soldiers go back to the schools that they graduated from to participate in the ceremonies. Every single school has a ceremony um, honoring uh, those who died and often honoring those from the school who died over the years. Yeah. I should also mention the night before, in other words, Erev, the evening before, right. everything right. is closed. There's not a restaurant open. There's not a store open. The streets are completely empty, except for the people going to various Memorial Day services and yeah, functions, other things. Sure. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's something America could really learn, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, that's that's why I started off saying no other country can do that. It can go from being sad to, to celebrating in, in such right, a way. Right, but also the way. same part. In other words, you know, Memorial Day in America, unfortunately, has become a shopping day. Yeah, Memorial Day it. weekend, exactly shopping, right. beginning yeah. of the summer, etc. And that's, the, you know, Americans owe to the, to the American soldiers who died in so many different wars a recognition that they don't often give them. And yes. that's a... That's a, a negative of a, one of the negatives in the United States today is, yeah, is not recognizing yeah. the sacrifices people do make. Right. And and actually, um, in the U.S., we have uh, barbecues going on Memorial Day and, and parties celebrating Memorial Day. Really no different than July 4th. Right. So and that, sales. Don't forget Memorial yeah. Day sales. Very important part. Yeah. So. That's Mark, the, Israel's Channel 13 broadcasted a shocking poll for the new government. Please tell us what what the polls indicated. The polls indicated that Prime Minister Netanyahu has lost a tremendous amount of support. And if elections were held today, not only would he not be elected, but the opposition would easily form a new government. It's not surprising. I mean, it's not surprising on multiple levels. Um, First of all, the whole judicial reform turned out to be extremely um, unpopular, let's put it that way. And even amongst those who, who support it, the sense is the government really did a terrible job of doing it, than which they absolutely did. And so the government lost a tremendous amount of support. People didn't vote for the government for the purposes of judicial reform. It was it was the platform of the religious Zionist uh, uh, party, which was relatively a small party. It was not on the well, the could doesn't even have a platform, but no one knew they were voting for that when they made when they went to to vote. And so. Uh, the government has lost tremendous support. Um, 
Netanyahu has lost tremendous support. There is a sense that Netanyahu, the time has come. I mean, I spoke to many Likud people and they basically said, I supported him, I love him, but the time has come. You know, there's something about politicians all over the world. They don't know how to hang up, you know, hang up the boots, so to speak, you know. Right. And Netanyahu has been a prime minister for the longest running prime minister in Israel's history. And whether you think he was a good prime minister or a bad prime minister, most people would agree it's healthy to change prime ministers and for some someone else to take over. And I think people are beginning to realize that. And you have to combine some of the strange things that happened in the first uh, months of his, uh, besides the protests themselves, you had him flying off to Italy and flying off to, to uh, Great Britain with his with his wife and an entourage and, you know, for three, four day weekends in these places. And people sort of mm-hmm. said, wait a second, what the heck's going on here? Oh. Uh, the country's falling apart or at least seems to on some levels. And you're going off to a, you know, he had, he had a 20 minute meeting with the Italian uh, prime minister and maybe a 30 minute meeting with the British prime minister. And for that, he went for a long weekend. So oh, people see. were sort of saying, hmm. This this really mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense, and I think that's really the sense that that. And then there's the other part of it, which is the fact that it became clear once it should have been clear beforehand, but it became clear once the government uh, was founded and coalition agreements were all signed that Netanyahu was giving up a tremendous amount, at least on paper, to the ultra orthodox parties, and there's a tremendous pushback amongst secular Israelis, even right wing secular Israelis. Mm-hmm. On these issues, well, not even secular, because the people, there are people who are who are consider themselves observant, but certainly not ultra orthodox. And there's right. resentment about the fact that they don't go into the army, which is a uh-huh. major issue. There is a feeling they refuse to to teach um, basic what they call in Israel limudei liba, which is basic math, science, English things that you need in order to to succeed in the job market, which they they ultra orthodox schools refuse to teach. And so there's a sense that, wait a second, you know, are we going to support these people forever? They're a growing population. They're not willing to teach their children basic skills that will help them promote, you know, be part of the economy. They won't send the kids to the army. So, you know, what is this and how can we do this? And so there's that resentment as well. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah. that's a good reason, good part of the reason why Netanyahu's parties are not popular at the moment. Um, and if elections were held, they would clearly lose at this moment. What would happen when elections are actually held? You never know. But right. based right. on polls, that's where it that's stands. It. Right. Mark, what do you think the signing of an agreement between Israel and Poland that will allow the continuation of youth trips? Okay, for me, it's a complicated uh, story because uh, on two levels. So on one level, I'm a descendant of my grandpa grandparents both came from Poland they moved to Germany in their youth and then moved to Israel, moved to America in 1936 with my mother young mother but I've been back to Poland to those places I've also been involved with the polls because I developed an app um, that's basically Jewish Poland and it includes all the death camps and all oh. cities and towns that had more than 500 Jews before the war I've written a complete history of every one of those towns and Jewish histories and a regular history of all those towns and villages, as well as cemeteries and other Jewish sites and regular sites. So I spent three years researching and writing this as an app. On, so uh, this app called, is already active? It's on the App Store. You can find it on the iPhone and the and on the Android. It's a free app. And it um, 
basically it's called Poland, the major major towns and villages and Jewish history or something to that effect. That's fascinating. If you just look under Poland, it'll be like this this first or second thing that'll appear on the app store. So I I've been deeply involved in the in the issue. Right. And I understand both sides of the issue. And I should go go further to say that my grand uncles, two grand uncles, survived the war, went back to their town, town called Frischdag, uh, after the war, and were murdered by the local Poles when they tried to take back their lumber mill. Right, so right. That, that I, I really do understand this common. story from, from from all sides. And I know Polish diplomats yeah. here in Israel. And I wouldn't say I'm friends with them, but I'm certainly acquaintance with them and and get along with them. And it's it's a complicated story. The Poles were both victims and perpetrators at the same time. Um, we need to understand that they really were victims. I mean, Poland was invaded. It wasn't like they mm-hmm. joined Nazi Germany. They were invaded. Right. And they wouldn't have been invaded if England and France had acted differently and certainly the Soviet Union. Um, there's always been anti-Semitism in Poland. I was going to say that, that people who have actually been through the war um, or even people who came to the States before the war have talked about uh, experiencing anti-Semitism on the way to Cheder, you know, from, oh, no from question. the local, there was, there was always, from the local polls. Excuse me, why, where am I sitting right now? I'm sitting right now in Israel. Why was Israel established? Let's go back to Herzlian Zionism. It was established because the Jews of Europe needed a place to go yeah. Um, yeah. because it was anti-Semitism. You know, whether it was the Polish-Russian anti-Semitism of that kind, or was the French high society anti-Semitism that was uh, created, um, you know, the, the, that um, Herzl saw and put Dreyfus in prison. I mean, so anti-Semitism is endemic uh, to Europe throughout Jewish history. Yes. I mean, throughout Jewish history, we've been living with some version of anti-Semitism or another um, all through the, through the time. Um, so clearly, there was anti-Semitism in Poland. No ifs, ands, or buts. A lot of the Poles were anti-Semitic. But, and I give this as a but, there are more um, righteous Gentile child, Gentiles excuse me, in Yad Vashem who are Polish than anyone else. So more Poles risk their lives to save Jews than right. any other people as well. So it's two sides of a coin. We need to understand that. We need to understand that the Poles are sensitive because no one wants to be called an anti-Semite, and no one wants to be called on this. It's politically no, incorrect. Right. Whether no one, one is or not an... doesn't make a difference. You don't right. want to be called an anti-Semite. Right. Even if, let's say for the sake of argument that the current polls are not particularly anti-Semitic. I don't know. I mean, I know, I don't feel it. I've been to Poland twice. I've worked with polls. I don't feel like they're anti-Semitic, but mm-hmm. who knows? Maybe some of them are. I'm sure, you know, we can say that about America too. I mean, there's a lot of anti-Semitism in America, but the average yes. person you walk into, is he, an, he or she an anti-Semite? Most likely not, but he might be. Sure. Um, but but let's just say that their parents or grandparents were, right? So it's it, it's difficult. And look at Germany. We have these, you know, Israel has this great relationship with Germany, and but on the other hand, you start thinking about it, and you talk to someone, and let's say you spoke to someone my generation, and you got to say, well, what did their parents do during World War II, or what did their grandparents do? Yeah, and it's not going to be good. Um, so. I, I am overall in favor of coming to some sort of an agreement. I see no reason negative. Now, the issue of the trips to Poland is a whole other story, because uh, on some levels we we need to figure out you know what's what's the meaning, right, and how how you show Poland and how you show the Holocaust, and 
understanding the Holocaust, you can, there, there are two basic ways of understanding the Holocaust. I mean, there are many different shades, but on one level, you have the understanding that look what happened to the Jewish people. This happened to the Jews. It never happened to anyone else. We have to make sure it never, ever again happens to the Jewish people. And it's also, it, it educates youth about what, about the atrocities or else it's just going to be in the history books and people could, down the line, can, as it is, people are questioning whether the right. Holocaust happened, unfortunately. Right, but, but, the, but even more so the if they can't see it. Right. Well, obviously you can't really even they, see. Well, they need to, it, you know what? Human nature is such, unless it's tangible, you just don't believe it. Right, but of For course, some. you know, it's still not all, all we're seeing is wooden shacks and we're not really seeing the Holocaust, unfortunately. I mean, fortunately, I guess. But I just want to make the other point. The other side of the question is, do we learn the lesson of the Holocaust? The Holocaust is a terrible thing that happened. And it was a monstrous thing. We need to make sure it never happens to any other people on Earth. And we've, I feel we've learned too much the, the first lesson, that it's a Jewish-only experience. And so when it happened to the Khmer Rouge, what happened to Rwanda, when it happened in Syria, in our backyard, we, as the Jewish people, didn't feel a special need to do something special because, you know, another people were being killed in mass numbers because of their religious identity or their ethnic identity or something else. And we need to find that right balance because it's not enough to say that it, you know, it's a terrible thing that happened to Jewish people. Yes, there is anti-Semitism. There's always been anti-Semitism. That's why there's Israel. That's why we have an air force. That's why we defend ourselves. Um, but on the other hand, that's why you're sitting we, where you're sitting, and I'm sitting in the U.S. Right. Well, that's a different story. We can talk about that separately. <laughs> but uh, but um, on the other hand, we need to have a, understand that the Holocaust is a greater lesson that man's inhumanity, man, is not only at the Holocaust, and it's occurred at other times in history, and it's occurred in our lifetimes again. And we've allowed it to some extent to happen. The United States intervened in um, in former Yugoslavia mm-hmm. um, because of, to some extent, because of the lessons of the Holocaust. And, you know, just to bring back to American politics something, which is hard to do, the refugee laws that creates all the problems on the American borders yes. were all developed because of the Holocaust and because no one was willing to take in the Jewish people. And so the world passed refugee laws that ref- that require countries to take in refugees and decide whether they're true refugees. And that's part of the American political problem with, with the southern border is the fact that these people declare they're refugees. The United States has to follow international law and that law is there as a lesson because of the Holocaust. So it makes things very complicated and that makes, you know, anyone who has these black and white positions really needs to understand a little more history. Yeah. Mark, uh, can you tell us what is the economic situation right now in Israel? Okay, so that's... Has the inflation lowered or increased? Inflation is still strong here. Um, Inflation is a problem. Um, The big concern here right now is um, the high-tech sector and the fear that a combination of a worldwide slowdown in high-tech and the effect of the attempted judicial reform will have a very negative impact on on the tech sector. Just mm-hmm. about an hour ago, it was announced that Dropbox. I don't know if you know Dropbox is a is a service where you can put your files and share them and everything else. Right. Has just cl- announced the closure of its R and D center here in Israel and is laying off all of its employees. 
Oh. Amazon today announced its cutback in Israel R&D. And so there is that concern that, that that will negatively impact the Israeli economy. High tech mm-hmm. represents about 25% of the economy and certainly 25% of the tax revenues. So there is that, that real concern. Um, we'll have to see both both factors, how they play out in the next couple of months. Wow. And in terms of um, stores, when people go shopping, do they do they feel the difference? Do they feel the inflation? Uh, to some extent. Actually, what's happened in the last couple of, um, I guess, since the, the judicial reform is the shekel has weakened. So buying from Amazon has become a little more expensive. Israelis have learned to buy from Amazon because Israeli stores tend to be more expensive than stores in Europe or in the United States. Um, long series of reasons for it. So a good way of getting around that is to buy from Amazon. So more and more Israelis do that now. And of course, when the shekel is weaker, then it becomes more expensive. Um, but I, I haven't really, there hasn't been really a slowdown in, in purchases. What's mm-hmm. been a big slowdown is in the housing market. Uh-huh. Because the interest rates, well, two things happened. First of all, the prices kept on going up and up and up and up and up. And it's just right. ridiculously high. Right. And, you know, I'm trying to get my... My daughter lives in the States. Uh, she was born here and served in the army and spent many years living here on and off and her husband's Israeli. And I want my grandkids back here. But it's a little bit of, of a course. problem. She ended up buying my parents' house for me in New Rochelle. Uh-huh. And she can sell that wonderful house uh, that's sitting on a third of an acre in a nice neighborhood and everything else. And she can't really buy anything in this country. Forget in Tel oh Aviv. Oh goodness, really? Yeah. Very yes, it's things of the houses. And this is all over Israel, or just pretty much all over Israel, with the exception probably of the of Negev. No, Uh it's it's certainly that way in the Galil, the northern Galil. My um, son-in-law is from a town called Shlomi, which is literally on the border with uh, with Lebanon. And my um, grandchildren were up during Pesach; they spent half the time with us and half the time up there. But they were there the day that the Shlomi was hit by a rocket. Um, but the price is there. Literally, they can sell their house in New Rochelle and buy an attached house literally on the border uh, within, you know, 50 feet of the Lebanese border. Wow. So that's that. That's at any rate, not only is it a problem for them, but it's generally become more and more expensive for Israelis to, to buy. Right. But the interest rates have gone up from near zero to five, six percent on, on mortgages and up to seven percent on mortgages. Now it's become really expensive to buy. Mm-hmm. So there's been a almost a complete uh, shutdown on the housing market. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is, of course, Israel is growing in terms of population. In yes. other words, well, the population keeps, right, it keeps on growing. I'm not sure. not always sure it's a good thing at some point, but that's a different <laughs> story altogether. There's a, you know, there's an issue of, you know, we, we want to keep our population. Do we, you know, right, right now, the projections were 9 million uh, will be in 20 years, 15 million. Wow. So, but these people need houses. They got to live somewhere. Yes, and, of course. Uh, right. But what happens when you have a housing slowdown is that the bar, the builders stop building. Yeah. And when they stop building, it takes a long time to get them building again. So oh, you create an even right. greater demand. Prices go up even higher because you have supply and demand. People need somewhere to live. And so it's it's yeah. a it's a bad cycle, yeah. let's put it that way. Mark, what is Israel's position on the war between Russia and Ukraine? Problematic is how I would answer it. Um, I am not. I, mean, I am a big supporter of Ukraine. I think the Russians, um, Putin at this point, uh, while not hating the Jews, is up there close to Hitler in terms of the way he 
is conducting a war. Um, I've seen that, you know, that propaganda actually used to appear on RT, Russian television, until close to the beginning of the war and it was clear where they were going and I refused to appear anymore, even though they paid very nicely. Um, yeah. But um, we should be supporting the Ukrainians all out, in my opinion. Um, that, you know, I, I believe that they're the underdogs. They deserve our support. We could support them. The things that we could do that no one else in the world can do. Uh, now, why did we take off the position we took? I think two reasons. One, I understand. The second, I don't understand. In other words, the first reason is we're fear of the Russians in Syria, that the Russians were giving us a green light to do whatever we wanted vis-a-vis -vis the Iranians. As far as I'm concerned, we could just destroy the Russians if they interfered with us in Syria. Or if the Ukrainian Air Force can take on the Russian Air Force, just think of where the Israeli Air Force stands vis-a-vis -vis the uh, Russian Air Force and our ability mm -hmm. to yeah. deal with the Russians. So that was, a, I think, a false reason not to, not to do anything. The second reason is more complicated, and those are the Jews that are remained in Russia. And every single day, uh, two, one or two LL planes arrive in Israel. LL still flies to Moscow, one of the few Western airlines. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it's bringing Russian Jews out, and they're coming oh. to Israel. And so if we took the Ukrainian side, I would have to, you know, publicly and in a serious way, I would have to assume that the Russians would cut that off and um, persecute the Jews in Russia. What moral responsibility we have to people who had many opportunities to leave, that becomes a whole other question, right? In other words, you know, I'm looking at you, you're sitting in America, you could be here tomorrow, nothing's yes. stopping you. So, I mean, I'm sure there's many things You're absolutely you, right. There's nothing, there's nothing physically stopping you. Right. So my question would be, okay, God forbid something terrible happened to the Jews in America, how much responsibility do we as Israel have to come to your rescue if we can, when you have plenty of ability? Well, I'm telling you, come tomorrow. Right. You know, you don't right. have to What am I doing sitting here? So, so if something happens, you know, let the people here take right. care so of it. So, so how much more so for the Russian Jews that, you know, my childhood was full of, uh, my youth, I should say, not my childhood, demonstrating and striking on behalf of Russian Jewry to get them out. Um, I even visited Russia in 1975 um, to be part of that effort. Um, and they should have all come here. So if they had stayed in Russia, how much are we responsible for them? Difficult question. It's a difficult moral question. That um, Interesting. It's an interesting I, perspective. I don't, have, I don't have a good answer. What? No, it's, you, you've got an interesting perspective. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. Absolutely. Mark, you've been an Apple developer since 1983. Can you tell us what your company has done recently in the advancement of technology? In the advancement of technology, I don't know about the advancement of technology. The biggest project we did recently was the the Polish app. It took up a fair right. amount of time. I got stuck there because what happened was we had done an earlier version of the app about six years ago, and I had gone to Poland. The Polish government actually paid for me to go to um, the main cities: Warsaw, Krakow, Lublin, Lodz, and Kiel, and the death camps. And I took my daughter along with me, who was had just gotten out of the army at the time, and then we wrote. We wrote the first version of the app. My son, who's been an app developer since he was nine years old, uh, did the uh, development of that. Um, and then we convinced um, that it's time to update and to add uh, first-hand accounts, which we added video accounts, and to add additional cities and towns, because all we have is the five. And that was where I made the major mistake. I added 50, and then I said, wait a second, what about this town? What about that right. town? 
And right. before long, I had added, I spent two years, it was during COVID, so it was okay, uh, adding 400 towns and villages. So it's really a comprehensive, nothing else like that exists with the Jewish and general history. So that was a major thing we did. We do a lot of uh, contract work. We do work for Northwell uh, Medical, uh, medical. Um, I guess it's hospital system, Northwell in New York. Can you we tell us a little work. bit about that? It's an educational, it's an educational app that, that's used um, to teach um, teach new interns and uh, medical students the basis of, of medicine. We don't do the content. We just do the 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 app itself. It's called Just in Time Medicine. And so we've done that. We've done for, for Louisville Medical School as well. Um, and right now, the most interesting thing I'm currently working on is many years ago, I started by doing, we, we started making CD-ROMs. And mm-hmm. one of my early CD-ROMs was the biography of FDR. Uh-huh. And then we had an app of FDR. And that was very old. Okay. I did it in 2012 or 13. I actually did the programming. Um, and I'm not a great programmer. I'm just a mediocre programmer. My son is a really good programmer. I'm a mediocre programmer. Um, but I did that. And at this point, it's off the app store because it's so old. So I decided to redo it, which I'm in the midst of doing in a new new Apple programming language. But that's not the interesting part. The interesting part of what I'm working on is trying to integrate um, AI and chat GPT so that you will be able to ask questions of FDR in the app. So uh-huh. you'll be able to ask FDR what he thinks about various aspects of the things he did. And with a little bit of luck, I'm not at that point in programming. I'm hoping we'll also be able to have answers in the voice of FDR. Wow. So that's my most interesting thing that I'm working on at the moment. And we'll see whether I can succeed in finishing it. Um, I have this, had this vision. I teach, I've taught history on and off. And as you've seen, I do a lot of history apps um, that are okay. They're good, but they don't do what I really want to do. What I really want to do in terms of history is I want to I want to find a way of being the equivalent of the holodeck of the Star Trek Enterprise, oh, and that's how you should really learn learn history. So we're almost there technologically. We're not quite there yet. I think well, in my life, it sounds like you're quite advanced. Well, we'll we'll try. So that's that, that's what I'm where I'm hoping hoping to get to more than anything else. I want history to come alive for people. Um, it's hard. It's hard to get people to care about history. Yeah, but it's also very hard for a voter, wherever they live in the world and whatever they're voting on, to vote without understanding the history of the events that they're that the yes. issues are of today. And so, I strongly believe that uh, voters should know uh, at least the last thirty or forty years of history well. Uh, they don't really. I mean, it's very nice to learn about the Roman Empire and all those sort of things, but but literally, you know, from the period of World War II on. Let's say it's more than 50, you know, it's 50, 60 years. People should understand the history, whether, you know, whether it's the history of Israel or whether it's the history of the United States. Before they decide whether they're Republican or Democrat or voting on a particular issue, you need to understand the history that came before it. And I've always believed that very strongly. So I've tried to do my part with my website and with the apps. I don't know how successful that's been on that level, but I try. You're doing amazing, amazing, amazing work. Thank you so much. Mark, thank you for joining us. One last thing. My, sure. I have a newsletter called Tel Aviv Diary. Oh, a, okay. Let's hear about that. Okay. So it's a it's a weekly newsletter. It comes out on Fridays. It's a Substack. So if you just look Tel Aviv Substack uh, under my name, Mark Shulman Substack, you'll get to, to, you'll get to Tel Aviv Diary. It's basically a summary of the major events that have taken place in Israel in the previous week. 
primarily from the perspective of, of a little bit from Tel Aviv. We usually include a restaurant review, which my uh, daughter, who's a, who's a foodie, and the foodie of the Tel Aviv scene writes every week a different restaurant review. Uh-huh. Sometimes it's a movie review of an Israeli restaurant, a little piece of history, but mostly the events that have taken place. Um, mostly straight reporting with a little bit of a spin. When I when I put a spin on it, I say I'm putting a spin on it from my perspective. So it's just look up Mark Shulman on Substack and you'll get Tel Aviv Diary. It's free and it comes out every single week on Friday afternoons, Israel time. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. We really My appreciate pleasure. the time that you're giving us all the way from Israel. And, and it's true. I should be there. And I'm sitting in the U.S. Okay, you know, <laughs> maybe one day. offline sometime, maybe. Thank you to our audience for tuning in. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your host, Bela Sebrow. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can catch The Definitive Wrap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Wrap.